Welcome to the Dwellness Podcast. I'm Ruth Steinmetz. And I'm Brian Steinmetz. Join us on our journey to discover the connections between physical and mental well-being and our dwellings. Welcome, everybody, to the Dwellness Podcast. We are going to go ahead with our quote of the week to start with. We have our special guest with us today, who I'll introduce momentarily. But first, a little wisdom from the Stoic Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Here we go. He says, dwell on the beauty of life. Watch the stars and see yourself running with them. Think constantly of the changes of the elements into each other. For such thoughts wash away the dust of earthly life. What do we think about that? Can you say the first phrase again? Dwell on the beauty of life. Mm. Do you want do you want to watch the stars too? No. <laughs> I just wanted to capture like what, what he was saying we dwell on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The beauty of life. That's what mm-hmm. we what we dwell on. Yeah. How, how did what do you think about that? I mean it's hard to explain how beautiful life is without talking about nature Mm. and then the aspirational nature of stars. And we're always looking up with hope when we're looking up at the sky. Yeah. See Um, yourself running with them. That's, that's really, yeah. And especially for uh, considering his religion uh, of being like, you know, he believed in Jupiter and and all those, it's a dead religion now, really. Um, He didn't, conceptualized like God or like the universe at the time. Mm-hmm. He just looked up at the stars and was like, I'm going to one day be running amongst them, which is for his time, very advanced, I would think. I mean, it's still what we want to do right now. I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah. Reach <laughs> yeah. for the stars. I mean, that's. And that's we want to, we want to do this, uh, interplanetary traveling. Yeah. We want it to become a thing. Yeah. Colonizing Mars, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, or whatever. I want to use colonizing, <laughs> but, uh, oh, excuse me, yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, it's just it's just really aspirational. It mm. makes me feel hopeful, like there's so much possibility out there. And then just also the supernatural nature of ourselves, mm. like we can we can achieve great things, and we can even envision ourselves being among stars, which is something that no other creature is capable of. Yeah, which is super rad. Super rad, yeah. Yeah, it's a superpower. It is, it yeah. is. We have with us today a very special guest, a dear friend of mine for, fuck, 20 years now. Long I think more time. than. I think more than. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, we have with us, uh, he's about to make his directorial debut uh, for a film called Last Weekend, which he shot in record time for zero dollars. Uh, zero. And, 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 well, more than zero, but not many more than zero. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he uh, has been uh, an avid film buff since birth. I'm pretty sure you came out of your mom with a camera in your hand. Uh, <laughs> pretty close to, <laughs> pretty close to yeah. If we could afford the camera, it would have been there. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, you've, been, you've been at this for, for a number of years. You're about to make your directorial debut. It has gotten into CineQuest in San Jose. And I believe it's August 26th that That's it correct. comes out. It's uh, premiering on August 26th, and it plays a second time on the 28th. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, and the name of our guest, of course, is Mr. Curtis Anthony Williams, very dear friend of mine and of ours now mm-hmm. uh, for a long time. He was a 
best man at my wedding. Our, yes. At our wedding. Our Truly. wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. the best man. Um, yeah, we, we met, what, my freshman year of high school. Well, freshman year. I think you were 15 when we met. No, younger. Fifth, uh, you were 14? Fucking thir- 13 or 14. Yeah. I was, I was like 18, 17, 18, because mm-hmm. I was a senior. So, but it had teen at the end of it. <laughs> the, the keyword is teen. Uh, yeah, so it's a scary many, notion. Many, many years. So, uh, and this has been, you know, we've been dreaming about this moment for for a long time. Yeah, I mean, the we, we bonded so quickly and everything that year because we both wanted to be making films. And it was like the yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, we at least wanted to be in the creative sphere. And look, here we are on your podcast talking about my film. Like the, <laughs> has, has the dream come true? Like, it's, it's, maybe it's, so. I'm not worried about the destination so much, Kurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the journey. It's the journey. It's yeah. the journey. The journey is, has been a real wild ride, I have to say. And it's yeah. been super fun. So, um, without much further ado, uh, what are you showing us? I'm going to show us the trailer for Curtis's directorial debut. He chopped together a trailer for Cinequest, which we are about to enjoy. I don't think either of us. That is a captivating trailer. I have it's to say. cool. Yeah. I like it. I'm like, it's one of those Hot things. Mess. I also noticed Hot drama. that you. Yeah. I noticed that you were able to sneak in kind of the tagline in the middle. Yeah. Of well, actually, the tagline didn't exist at all until I cut that. Oh, really? Huh. And, and then it was just like, oh, boom, that sort of makes sense. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't that one, but it was another like iteration of it sort of early mm-hmm. on after we did the movie. Um, we didn't really know how we could sort of market it with a tagline. And it was only through editing that we sort of discovered it. But mm. it sort of, sort of just came out naturally. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the vibe of how we made the entire movie. It's just like how everything comes together. So mm-hmm. seemed right. Mm. Yeah. And there we have it. There we have it. All right. I like uh, your approach to like just letting things emerge out of the process. Yeah, I think it's one of my favorite ways because it seems like the most honest way to sort of accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. And I think the only th- only real way to um, you know have something be compelling to an audience member is if you're honest to them. If you're trying to like lie mm. and steal and cheat, it always feels. Or manipulate the audience. Whenever I'm watching something and it feels like that, it's a big, like, mm. turns me away. So mm-hmm. try not to do anything like that. But mm. yeah, so uh, premiering at Cinequest this month, everybody who can be there, San Jose. San Jose. Yeah. Uh, any other details you'd like to share with us? Details about regarding the the premiere, etc. We'll, well, we'll share a link with. Yeah, we'll have a audience. link. There's a link to it. You can follow me on any of my social media stuff to see more sort of like teases and stuff like that. We've been doing a bunch of little tiny, like 10 second, 15 second teases. They're a lot of fun. But as far as uh, the premiere is concerned, um, you know, me and my small crew are, should all be there in person for Q&A after the premiere. So right if you want to come and ask about how we did everything, mm. there's a chance. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah. We're going to do everything we can to get out there. I'd mm-hmm. love to see so, you guys. I'd love, to, I'd love to be there as well. Yeah. Um, we went a little bit out of order, though. I think I should have asked you how you find your dwellness before we uh, got into the 
to the trailer, but that's totally fine. We're still learning here. We're still growing. That's the most important thing. Growth. How, good sir, do you find your dwellness or what does it mean to you? Well, dwellness, I think that the difficult thing is to always surround yourself with people who fill you with love. Essentially, if I am in a place like this here now, feel like it is part of my dwelling, even if I don't live in a particular place, mm -hmm. I try to always surround myself with people that I love and that who love me in return, because it's just the one thing that I know, no matter what situation I'm in in my life or what circumstances anybody else is in, mm -hmm. uh, I find a way that that kind of caring is just what fills you up and um, just carries you through any kind of problems or mm -hmm. trials and tribulations you might be going through. And, you know, life is full of them. So, <laughs> yeah, it's I think given your work and the fact that you're all over the world. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you've been as far as Malaysia, I think, right? Or it's Indonesia. the Philippines. The Philippines so, um, yeah, we when you find yourself sort of like traveling for work that way, uh, you you have to find a your dwelling in any place. Like it could be anywhere. It was like the streets, <laughs> you know, like not the streets, but you know, you, you find yourself in sort of like strange circumstances that might make you uncomfortable. But mm -hmm. as long as you're, you, you know, you have companionship with people that love you and care for you, then you can kind of survive anything is what I found out. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Speaking of surviving, what kind of creature comforts do you feel like really help you stay stable? Or sane. Or sane. Sane. You know. Well, creature comforts. Um, Canada dry ginger ale. <laughs> For real? I'm addicted really? to that stuff. I, I, wow. I, I, if I'm feeling a certain kind of way, I crack open a ginger ale. I feel so much better. What kind of way is that? Um, oh, just like you're down. And yeah, you down, anything. Um, well... It does remind me of like being sick when you're a kid and mom would bring you a fucking ginger ale. I think maybe that's where for, it started for some from. whatever reason. But yeah. I've just I kind of just been keeping my refrigerator stocked with ginger ale for some reason. I think also insofar as trying to just find like a, a positive way of consuming something that's like doesn't have caffeine. You know, mm -hmm. it's like it's a relatively slow impact on you. Kind of like just a thing. And it's something I can share with my daughter because yeah. she can have a special drink is what we call it. Like, you want to have a little sip of special drink? And she's like, yeah. You know. Yeah, and it's not whiskey. So that's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not that kind of special. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's good for your tummy too. I mean, ginger mm -hmm. is, yeah, I know right now. Asterix artificially flavored. Yeah, yeah. So it's still soothing. So when, yeah, you, soothing. when you're traveling and you're on set and you're dealing with these high pressure situations, how do you maintain your dwellness in those situations? Ginger ale? No, not, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> I definitely have my ginger ale. Uh, um, and crafty no, figures out pretty quickly what, what all creature comforts people want. But no, for me, I think it comes back to filling that space with people that you love and, mm -hmm. and things. A lot of times I find on a, on a stressful movie set, because I'm, I fill a leadership role, like if I'm directing or if I'm ADing, people around me are looking to me for some kind of like rallying cry and yeah. oftentimes you're asking people to do so many very terrifically hard things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in the film business is oftentimes sort of like run by fear and I've never found that that was a productive way to do anything so I always instead of using stress or fear try to fill people with love instead and I feel like 
if if I'm sort of pouring out that sort of uh, spiritual and emotional sort of guideline, then people are pouring it back to me. And I find that that's just like the only way that I can stand on my feet for 14 hours <laughs> and, and make the hustle something that's a positive experience. Cause mm-hmm. it could be, it can beat you down pretty mm-hmm. fast if you're yeah. not surrounded by that kind of feeling. It's uh, really arduous. You know, it makes me also think of like people in working in the medical field, working long shifts or any yeah. sort of position that requires long working hours. You got to find a way to, bear through that and even find joy in it because you do it long enough it'll 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 kill you or it it'll wear you down wear mm. you out it's definitely wearing you out and it's funny that i mean that analogy mm-hmm. we're not saving lives when you're making movies so <laughs> <laughs> you're like people well, but people do consider it and um, on those extremes like yeah. you, you you run into a lot of creatives that take it that seriously and you mm. should take your work seriously i'm not saying you shouldn't but a lot of people are they act as if we are saving people's lives. Mm. Doing these huge, important work. Right. It is important work, and it can be very important. But if you, you, you also just need to temper that idea with, like, hey, look, if we fail at getting this shot, that it, the, the stakes are only that low. You know, yeah. you're going to, we'll, we'll set it up yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to die on the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, Mostly. <laughs> there have been... Uh, uh, yeah, there have been some movie deaths out yeah. there, but for the most part, you're not. it's not a life or death But I risk. think that when any of those movie deaths, I mean, if you look at in, into any of those situations, it's mm. because those filmmakers are taking it too seriously. They're thinking that they must risk lives in order mm. to do something important, yeah. which is just not the case. The first, the, the first thing anyone should be thinking about and acknowledging is the, the human life that's in front of them. I mean, that's why you're out there trying to tell a story about what it is to be human, mm. but then you start neglecting all the people around you that are fucking human. human. They're all human yeah. stories. You have <laughs> right. 30 human stories that are all in front of you. Why do you neglect those just to do this other thing? Instead, you should you acknowledge them. And if you acknowledge those lives, then you can sort of find a productive way into staying happy, healthy, and in control of your body. You know, mm. which is actually one of my one of my mantras on set is like, hey, is everybody happy, healthy and in control of their lives? And if somebody looks at me and says, no, I'm not, then I'm my first task is to try to alleviate whatever it is that's stopping them from being any of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, happiness falls away first. Yeah, <laughs> because obviously sometimes you're just going to be unhappy, but you have to try your best. That's it. And if you're trying to find wellness under these sort of extreme circumstances, mm. you're not going to be able to find it if you're if you're operating by stress and fear. And it's an unavoidable shock in those in those environments because there's so much that is like riding on it as far as financial and everything like this but there needs to be somebody in the room just operating on some kind of a positive level and i always try to make that be me Mm. so if i'm if i'm able to successfully do that then i feel like i'm finding you know what fills me up makes me happy yeah and it makes me feel powerful to be able to provide that for people it's almost like a protection thing you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) protecting your your folks yeah yeah and giving them a safe space to create yeah Yeah. right yeah yeah i was just curious to know like what do you see come out of that like what have you witnessed when you bring that energy versus you know because you've obviously experienced the fear and the you know, sort of bullying that could happen in those spaces. So what, what on the flip side, 
do you experience when uh, those things are not so present in the in the set? Well, the things are always present from mm -hmm. somewhere. So it's really about countering them mm -hmm. with, you know, equal and or opposite sort of thing. But what I've witnessed is when you when you like, let's just like give an example, like uh, you have a, a performer who has to do something that's very difficult, um, like um, just a very like a high emotion scene mm -hmm. um, and they have to really truly go there and feel like this tremendous sadness or anger or they're recounting something and a lot of times they're they're either they're pulling from something that's actually caused that great sadness in their life mm -hmm. and so when that happens when an actor is doing that sometimes that'll come out and it might affect how they interact in their relationships with the crew members or other cast members and stuff like that. And I think rightfully so. I mean, how can you just, you can't just switch it on and off, you know, like you have to find some balance. But if you face those kinds of, you know, and people wind up being, you know, quote, like divas or, you know, like they'll yeah, have yeah. a kind of attitude about them and people get afraid of them or how do you interact with them. But when you reverse that and you understand that they're going through these mo like big emotional swings and you you just give them sort of love in return, then they can find a, just a productive place to put that extra energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really what you find. If, if you give something that's the opposite of negative, then they're able to return that into the, if in, in this case, like a movie set, and that is reflected in the film. I don't know if I've exactly answered your question, but the idea is that I've seen very specific moments where somebody will create a whole negative atmosphere around them and everyone's lives are being affected by it. But if I give to them something that is very loving and caring mm -hmm. in response to that, then usually they kind of wake, wake up for a second and realize like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm being treated with love. I must do the same. And mm -hmm. it's not even really a conscious awakening but usually it just sort of happens um naturally yeah. you know somebody who's stressed out about like oh they're they've got to do a big scene and their hair is messed up and they like unhappy with like the whole <laughs> atmosphere of like going through hair makeup and wardrobe uh, into a scene they're carrying all of that with them in the scene mm -hmm. and you've got to find a way to shed all of that in order for them to come at that seen from a genuine place and it's just a way of finding how to get them to be back to their sort of genuine spirit mm -hmm. uh, i don't believe that anyone's genuine spirit is tr truly um negative that's that you're it becomes negative when they're responding to the world around them in a way that they cannot control just giving them access to whatever it is that's affectionate and loving it allows them to find that sort of emotional ground zero that you mm -hmm. can build up from. And yeah. that's what I've seen successfully working, <clears throat> I think. A couple of things I wanted to ask you. Yes. Now that I've got you. Here, here I am. <laughs> uh, you had mentioned operating from fear earlier. Yeah. How do you break that down? Uh, and what is like the commonality that you see there? Like what, what, what is a set that operates through fear and how do you not do that? Because I feel like this is applicable to everybody's life. Because everyone fears things. So. Right. Well, when you're operating on a film set, there's kind of, if you look at a film set, I mean, as like an analogy for life. Okay, yeah, um, let's do that. Yeah. You have 
this creative endeavor, everybody has this goal, which is like to tell this story mm-hmm. a certain kind of way. You want to present it to other people so that they can go on an emotional journey with you. And let's just say that that, that goal is, you know, trying to build a family in like a regular life. And if you're like a film director like me and you're afraid of failing to meet that goal, you're basically operating everything on this negative playing field. Uh, it's really hard to, for me to describe. But if you if you are working on that plane of existence, mm. then every single choice that you make creatively is going to be dictated by something that's negative, right? It's really just as simple in order to break down those barriers for that fear. It's really just as simple as take a moment, stop, reframe your train Mm -hmm. of thought. Mm -hmm. I'm running out of time for this scene that I have like seven actors in. They all have their egos and they all have their thing that they have to like do. Mm -hmm. But I'm incapable of controlling what their thoughts and feelings are. Mm -hmm. So let go for a second um, and just find a way to relate to them and then just try again. I think the same thing is applicable in life. If you are trying to, I don't know, build uh, a family and you must buy a car and buy a house and all of these things, uh, you have to interact with all of these other people to do so, right? Like you have to get a job that pays for it. You have to, I don't know, you have a wife and you have your kids and they all are, they're all operating from their own emotional spheres. And instead of, you, you cannot control it. I mean, you cannot control another human person no matter what. Mm. So again, it's that same, take a breath, reframe, treat them with love regardless mm. of how they're treating you and usually there's a way to that that reframing just kind of reverses how everybody is feeling and you can start operating on a much more functional and uh, on a higher playing plane than if you're operating out of fear it's very stoic of you curtis yeah well it's an attempt it's not always <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so easy to do but it's like if you just simply find that way of meditating and it doesn't, I mean, meditating is kind of a woo woo thing for Mm -hmm. some people. It's hard to do, but that meditation can be as simple as take a walk around the lobby, you know, for 90 seconds. Yeah. Get Um, out out of your head for a second. Yeah. On on, on like the fast paced movie sets, like you have, Mm -hmm. I have to do eight pages of a script in a day or something like that. I mean, that's That's, a a lot, lot but you, you're operating so fast and you think that there is no time for that kind of thing. But that 90 seconds around the set or whatever it is, is only 90 seconds compared to spending an hour and a half in an, in like an emotional argument or an emotional state that doesn't allow you to make any just decisions. Yeah. And it's just important to remember that for the cost of 90 seconds, mm. you can do a reset and go at this with a different sort of train of thought. And that's very key when you're dealing with you know, a lot of creative people and they all have their own set of goals and emotional needs that are not being met constantly. And everybody is always after them. You know, you have like a cinematographer who wants a shot to be this certain kind of thing and they will fight for that thing to be that, even if it's not what the common goal is. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes you just have to find out why are they so like tunnel vision on this idea and turn it into what is our shared goal that will achieve the closest thing to that. I think it's applicable to everything that you do. If you're like in a, in, if you're working at a restaurant, the same thing applies. You know, your, your manager is 
trying to do something and your busboy is trying to do something and your waitress is trying to do something and your cook is trying to do something. But at the end of the day, everybody is like trying to meet one common goal. Yeah. Put a plate in front of somebody and make them happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If, if you're like, if that plate comes across your table and it's filled with love, guess what you're going to get from that customer. You're going to get love. And as if you're a, a waiter or a waitress, and you're out there trying to make money for your family, the best way to make that tip is just by creating that positive thing, that positive experience for your customer. And it sounds funny to make it so sort of trite. We're talking about just like food service, but like when you're like the most common community thing that we all do every day is eat. Manja. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just, you sit and you eat and you share that experience. And it's the thing that feeds our bodies in order to keep living. So it's, it's just like, it's a great analogy. The same thing happens on a movie set too. At a certain point, everybody stops to have lunch yeah. <laughs> you know, or dinner, depending on <clears throat> when you're yeah. shooting. But when it's, that's like a hard reset. Like by the, you're six hours into your day. It's a big slog, horrible thing. And if you're feeding your crew properly and if you're like and if you like sit and just like have a nice meal with them, you can kind of come back like uh, fresh and uh, tap into your superpowers that everybody has a superpower. And it's a matter of like acknowledging what the heck that thing is and magnifying it for them. I think that that is I mean, that's another thing that when you treat somebody with love Oftentimes, in order to do that, you have to understand what it is that makes them powerful. Mm -hmm. And you have to actually genuinely care about that thing. And if you can show them that you do care about that thing that makes them powerful, then... That's powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, because giving like, them power. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like literally. And I mean, it, it sounds kind of just weird when you're saying the word power so much, but like embracing that word and like carrying it with you can really fill you up and... Yeah, anything is possible, really. Yeah. Dwell in your power, King. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I call it walking in your power. Walking, yeah. Yeah. Walk, yeah. walk in your power. Thing. But no, but dwelling. <laughs> no, but you said that to me before we rolled on, on today's show. Yeah, we were talking yeah, about right. something and you I can see you doing that in, in actuality. And you're not just talking a bunch of bullshit here. You're 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 doing these things. Well, I try to do it every day. The difficulty is that sometimes it's in order to do it, you have to make hard decisions and you have to I mean, take very high risks and it can be painful. But if you follow that sort of thing that gives you power, then it's to me, that's just like the, the best moral compass you can have. Yeah. The, the problem is that you have, and, and this applies to filmmaking. Oftentimes you have like the sort of dictatorship sort of directors mm-hmm. yeah. and they think, Oh, they're, my they're power, famous, my actually. power, uh, you know, and they're like obsessed with the idea of power, but they have a distorted idea of what power is. And it's like, yeah, a lot of people think that power is humiliating others or like being the domineering force of right because they want to control yeah exactly i think it's appropriate that we chose marcus aurelius today for example because he was the most powerful human in the world at the time he was a roman emperor during Mm -hmm. the height of the roman empire but he still had these ideas of like treat people kindly and like you know don't and you can't control what other people do as a roman emperor he said you can't control what other people do you can only control how you react to it which is a lot of what you're talking about so I think that that's he he had a different view on power that I think is still very applicable today, and a lot of people just want to beat the shit out of other people to get their power. A lot of narcissism out there, a lot of ego trips, etc. 
And I don't, I don't really think, I think I'm, we're on the same page here, Curtis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I'll say, I think there's a reason why the word empowerment includes that word power. I mean, in order for you to be powerful, you have to empower the people around you. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're looking at like a family unit, like that's like, I'm constantly trying to empower my daughter to like do something that she's afraid of, yeah. or, you know, like just to go to school and like participate in these sort of daily activities. You just have to empower instead of yelling, screaming, like we got to get in the car so you can not on, so you're not late or whatever. Like you have to empower her to feel like the want and the desire, the drive to mm -hmm. do something. Yeah. Um, and I've seen her like grow and flourish a lot more easily than if I, if I run the household with fear. Yeah. It definitely trips up even, you know, your, your, your thought process. You're not yourself because you kind of retreat into that reptilian side of just fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And there's a new one. I, I forget what it is. The, all the all the trauma responses. You're not yourself. Mm -hmm. So how can you even say that the output is something that is from you? Because like there's a part of you that is was inhibited in the whole process. And you want to bring every, you know, the core part of someone when they are producing something so that it can be truly theirs. And I think when people feel like their best selves showed up in that process, they feel so empowered and so like in their power, they feel like mm. this is truly me. And it, it, it's not, it's no BS. It's no like shadow me. It's all of me. And that's beautiful. I think it is beautiful. And I think in the creative sphere, like bringing it back to filmmaking, mm -hmm. I see a lot of those sort of dictator kind of directors that like totally. shut, shut down people's ideas and all of these things. But I've seen it the the in operating the best possible that it can. It's like it's just that shared experience of I this is our common goal and somebody genuinely brings their own idea to it in order to bolster it up. And that is almost it's the synergy of of mm -hmm. those human creative minds working together that achieve something really great. It's almost never my way or the highway. That no, is actually successful. It's oh, never yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah. It's not successful. Yeah. I mean, I seem to recall the, the dictator directors are very common, yeah. I think. And a lot of people get into directing because they're so power hungry or they want to domineer other people or they want to be in charge, whatever. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of Alfred Hitchcock used to hire somebody just to fire them on the first day in front of everyone and humiliate them. So that everyone knew he was in charge. The whatever. fear. Yeah, the fear. Mm -hmm. Creating exactly. fear. Creating the fear of losing your job, which is kind of how corporate America operates anyway. Right. I think a lot of our society operates this way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to lose my job because then I won't be able to pay the mortgage and then my family will be out on the street. I remember my own family growing up operating this way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, operating from fear is is... It's like a scarcity mindset. Like, if I don't do this, then this will happen. And, and you worry about things down the road. But it's just... Not a healthy way to operate. And so I really appreciate the way you run your film sets. I've seen you on set before. And I really think that where, whenever you're on set, you're living your best, like, dwellness life. I, and I can see how much you love it. And I think the entire crew and cast can see how much you love it as well. Well, I think, thank you. You're not wrong. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like most at home, I think, when I, 
when I sort of have that uh, you know, crew of people and a slew of actors sort of like operating uh, with my same goal in mind. It's kind of always been like that since I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember even early on when we were messing around like on Church Street here in Burlington. Uh, we did a fight scene in the cops game. Call, yeah. <laughs> we, got, we got ourselves Whoa. shut down. I think that was yeah. my first time getting shut down by the police, not my last. <laughs> Even then, you've, you've always just maintained this control over what's happening. But it doesn't feel like you're in control. It feels like everybody is free to do what they want. But it's got to go in this direction eventually. Right. Well, it's kind of like... When you, when you hand the keys to a teenager who's learning to drive, mm -hmm. you have to teach them how to do it safely. And once you trust them to do it safely, then they actually kind of start operating that way and doing it safely. And if you, and it, so it comes down to that idea of trust. If I trust every person that's on my crew, which I will, because that's how they got the job, then I'm sort of operating a ship that's running by itself already. You know, it's already doing this thing. All so I have, have to, to do is rudder. guide. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a rudder, and it's like, please bring me an idea. There's no bad idea. I know it's a cliche, but there mm -hmm. really is no bad idea. There's only ideas that we can all just explore together and then decide together what the right thing is. And it's sort of my job to, to just say, like, yes or no. Yeah. Like, in the end of the day, it's like, you present me with as many ideas as you can, and my only thing is, that's correct. Or that's not correct. Here's why. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with unlimited time and money, you can do all the ideas, and then Colorado Rutledge can decide <laughs> what to do in the cutting room floor. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. One, one thing that's sort of like a trapping that I think a lot of young filmmakers fall into is they're afraid to say, I don't know. Mm. Even in a leadership role, you're allowed to say this. The, from one of the first things that like big, I say it to my kids all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> one thing that happened to me, like when I was like a PA or like assistant, if I didn't know an answer to something, I'm scared, right? Because yeah. like I have this person who's very powerful, and they're asking me for information, and I don't know the answer. I feel like I'm in trouble if I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. But well, there's very, that word again, scared. Yeah, yeah, fear based. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that was very empowering that they handed to me was, "Hey, I'd, I'd rather you just say I'm not sure. Let me find out." Then make up. Then an to answer. make up an answer and be incorrect. And like that, I learned over time is like that applies to everything. Even you know, like the the simplest question is like, okay, where do I where do I find the restroom? And it's like, oh, I don't know. Let me find out for you so you can go. That's very basic. But it goes all the way up to like an actor asking a director, like, where does this emotional thing come yeah. from? Well, I'm not sure, uh, but let's find out. It's the exact same answer. Mm. Yeah. You know, let's find out. And it's um, and that finding out is really where the creative endeavor is kind of the most exciting. I mean, Look at any sort of exploration. I mean, what is exciting about exploration? It's what we don't know. Yeah. So you come onto a movie set and you have this idea that like, and it comes from the sort of like auteur theory, which everybody like holds up these like filmmakers as these immense creative like vessels, vessels or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah there's just like, I like idolization of them, mm -hmm. which is fine. I mean, I have, I'm a fanboy. I'm like a fan of tons of people. But at the end of the day, it's like, what are we exploring? And if you know by the time you're on set, then you're like Alfred Hitchcock. He was bored by movie sets because he had already made every single creative choice ahead of time. He yeah. found that pre-production was the most exciting thing, right? That's a control freak, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, totally. like, that's like <laughs> childhood trauma coming this out. This is how it's going to fucking be. <laughs> right. And if, you know, if it's not like that, then... But I find, that if, you, I find that if you... If you 
everybody works operates from some kind of a trauma that's mm-hmm. changed how they perceive the world. But when it's like going through therapy, as soon as you're able to acknowledge what trauma you're dealing with and how you respond to it, then you're able to sort of like let it go a little bit or grow from it. And you can operate from a positive thing, even if it's a trauma response. There's a way to spin it to be positive. It's not always so easy to do, but it's easy to talk about at this table because we're sitting here in like comfort and, Mm. (laughs) you know, all this kind of stuff. I try to remind myself of that every day, even when I'm under the most dire circumstances, which is sometimes... Dire. Dire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you're preaching to the choir around the, the you know, operating under. Under trauma. Very stressful situations oh, yeah. and, and a lot of pressure on you, you know, me and Brian being entrepreneurs and and having a lot of pressure rest on our shoulders in terms of like yeah. production. Even creative pressure here um, with copy, writing copy has to look really good. Photo, video, et cetera. But on top of all that, even, it's yeah. like, are we making money? Right. <laughs> it, it all comes down to we have to produce something that will it, you can generate. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that will put food on the table. Mm-hmm. And that Precisely. creates immense pressure, which can be crippling sometimes. And, you know, for me, I, I, I like the concept of sublimation where... As you and I think you just explained it, like taking that negative pressure, negative pressure, negative energy, pausing <laughs> and reframing and and finding ways to channel it in something that's that's productive instead of destructive. And it's it's easier said than done, but it's possible. It's a skill that you kind of have to exercise over and over again until it just kind of gets into your muscle memory of like, oh, I'm stressed. I'm going to take a walk. Of or you know oh yeah. this thing is is I'm at my wits end what do I do gonna I'm gonna break <laughs> yeah yeah because that's what I need to reframe and get back into it with the right kind of energy and I think a lot of times even if you're aware I've I've seen myself in this situation where I'm aware that I need to have that moment mm-hmm. I need to have that walk around I need to have just anything in order for me to do that reset Mm. and you feel like you cannot ask for it or you can't take it because you're under these circumstances like a job or there's an there's some kind of oppression like oppressive force that's stopping you Mm -hmm. it can even be your own like like you know society seeping into your own mind like hustle 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 hustle. or perfectionism to your own self yeah Yeah, i know i was especially early in my real estate career i was very much like i can't sleep i have to work which to the detriment of my relationship with my daughter at the time. Right. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like you, you, the human body is designed to rest, to need rest. <laughs> and like if we don't do it, we're just going to burn out, uh, which is a very much non-dwellness mm-hmm. lifestyle thing. Yeah. Rest is so key yeah. to functioning at 100%. Um, to the point where if you don't get enough rest, Curtis, you can go up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're talking like sort of like the um, – there's an interesting thing that happens for me, at least when I, I think it's like you said earlier, the fight or flight mm-hmm. mechanism comes out of your lizard brain. Yeah. Um, when you're operating on like a movie set, you're feeling like you have these extremely long hours. I'll work for 14 hours mm. and still not be able to fall asleep. 
at the end of that because I'm like the next day or I'm on like a super work high or something like this and I will literally just never stop I'll get like two or three hours of sleep and then I'm on it again another 14 hours of like on a cycle you've been like that for a long ass time too right but I find what happens sort of universally is this happens to a lot of people on a set and then at a certain point like you've done your five day work week and then for those for your weekend you're just kaput and so the act of filmmaking by itself just sort of generates that trauma. So it becomes very difficult to do all of the, to live in these sorts of states that I'm like trying to say that we try to do, but it's really the only way to survive. Cause how can you live in that sort of traumatic world? If you don't have those sort of defense mechanisms where you can take a moment to yourself and just breathe and, Mm -hmm. and, and treat everyone around you with love. Yeah. 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 Do you have any, uh, you had mentioned, a mantra earlier. Uh, Do you have any others that uh, you'd like to share with I us? I have a ton of mantras. Yeah. Um, and on, on, on set, when I, especially when I'm uh, first ADing, I'm like constantly using these catchphrases. Everybody's like, oh, a curdy catchphrase. You know, and they're <laughs> laughing about it. That should be um, a thing. Then. <laughs> it is a thing. And I'm yeah, like, curdy like, says. Look, you guys, uh, uh, you'll all be dreaming of my voice someday. And like, that's one of the first things I'll always say when I'm introducing myself to a crew is just getting to know me. I'm like, by the end of tomorrow, you'll have me in your ear phantom. Um, and so I want to be giving you guys things that are positive. I don't want to be just barking things. Sometimes it comes out as a bark. But one of the one of my big things, especially when everybody is like on super edge and like very stressed out, I always use this mantra that says, no stress, only energy. And it's this idea of transmuting that stress into like understanding that stress is an energy and you can harness it in any which way that you please. Oftentimes you're just not aware that you can take hold of it and use it for your benefit. Yeah, manipulate it to um, be. So if you don't think of it like stress and you only think of it like energy, then it's quite literally energizing and you might as well have a cup of coffee because you're just using this like, I mean, it's a tremendous force that gets behind you when it's when it's stress. Mm-hmm. And you understand that you can turn that into something that drives you forward in a positive way instead of holding you down. Mm-hmm. That's a very, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to do. But if you kind of repeat it like a mantra, it kind of becomes muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And every time you're something gets edgy and on stress, say those words and it sort of it can create that positive energy that you need on a, on a movie set. I imagine in, in life, but unfortunately for my life, uh, it's oftentimes movie sets. So that's, <laughs> that's not unfortunate. That's no, your dream. You're right. You're right. It's a privilege. But I just mean like I, as far as my perspective, it yeah. gets a little distorted because yeah. everything is seen through the vacuum yeah. of movie sets. You know, <laughs> even when I'm not there, I'm thinking about, you know, what would this be like if I was on set, which is just silly but yeah mm. movies are your life well which is so apparent yeah yeah it's okay. been apparent since i first met you i think i think you were in the front of the auditorium and i was in the back we met in an acting class and you were screaming about some fucking movie and i was like who is that guy <laughs> <laughs> and i walked down there and then i think we bonded over pulp fiction yeah i think you said i called you a for not, not having, having seen it, seen it. Yeah. and then i went and watched it over and over and over and over and over and over yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry for using the C word, everyone. Mm-hmm. Might, might have made your ears bleed, but uh, I was that was even worse back then. 
yeah, in terms well, of my swearing. And it, it, that's really funny because I remember you like blurted that word out in the middle of Super a class. Yeah. You were in school, folks. <laughs> um, Somehow I didn't get detention. Yeah. Um, but we had a really cool drama teacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was terrific. I think that uh, she, the awareness that that was, it was like a... It she was really, really gave us a lot of freedom. Yeah, it was well, she was trying to cultivate a freedom um, of expression and I think like a safe, yeah, creative space, space, space. Yeah, exactly. Which, which probably influenced you quite a bit, actually. Oh, absolutely yeah. did. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Well, I, thank you, Kim Breckenridge is her name now. Yeah, Breckenridge. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, Kim was a was a marvelous influence on me. I think mm -hmm. uh, hopefully she hears this and takes it to heart because I've thought I'll about her. I'll find her on Facebook and send her. <laughs> yeah, I, I've thought about her, uh, you know, all the time ever mm -hmm. since then. I mean, it's many many years, but she and I had this interesting sort of like real relationship because. I was a freshman with a year that she started at that school. So she was a freshman So I too. was her friend and I took a class with her every year for four years and then graduated. So I was part of that like small troop of kids that was like a part of her classroom nice. for her first four years. And it was like a big sort of thing. I know I grew a lot from that. I hope that she did too. But since then I've taken a lot of her lessons to heart, whether it was from acting or just like, staying like creative in every endeavor and positive mm -hmm. thought about it every movie set at some point wow so wow. I, I bet you would love to hear that a teacher made an impact <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it, she's not the only one it's interesting being that i'm like a college dropout <laughs> you'd think like some of the most successful people in the history of the world have been college dropouts. fair but what i'm trying to get at is like you'd think that that means that i wasn't a good student mm. and i think it, at the time i thought i wasn't like i was I was in my own way because I w I didn't like the apparatus of the, the education system. I still don't. I don't yeah, think I it's really set up the it's way that the human mind works. It's Certainly its not problems. mine. Yeah. It's also really white centric, but that's another episode. Right. Well, there's all kinds of stuff that has been influenced by the white supremacy and oh yeah, but and and also patriarchy and all of these things have just, just like just so many sort influences. of just climbed all over because it's a, it's an institution it happens a lot with institutions but if you if you could strip the institution of all of those things then you know that it's a very positive thing but when i was a kid i thought i was just a bad student because my grades were not great mm. all of these things but on upon reflection i was a good student because i was receiving the energies that my teachers were giving and the ones that were giving in the best way have, have like remained with me always. And I think that that's something that like doesn't require a teacher student relationship in order to cultivate. It could be this conversation right now, like hopefully 10 years from now when you guys are like still doing this podcast and it's like this huge, amazing thing you got, we can, we can remember this moment of like, Hey, when it was in its early stages, we yeah. were just, it was just this idea that we wanted to like grow and seed and have it be this beautiful thing. Those kinds of things should be in your daily interactions with everyone around you. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to create dwellness, as you guys have coined, it's like that, it, that should be your main focus always to mm -hmm. carry those, that kind of spirit with you. And it's like, I mean, I didn't learn that from my parents necessarily. I did a little bit. I mean, you learn it from everyone around you, but it's like teachers like Kim Breckenridge, I think that really taught it to me, even in like an unconscious way. And it was just because she looked at us with love and with care. I think you, you learned to take that energy that she taught you and that what you were talking about, like you're, you're reflecting their energy and take it to the film sets and give everybody on that set something to a positive thing to reflect. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, and I think I I think I've seen it in evidence because I've seen like these crew members who like they come into a space again with fear and and all this stuff they've got to accomplish this thing that seems like the impossible task and then they face they they see however I'm interacting with this problem um and it's usually I try to interact with the problem with um a certain amount of comfort like I'm I'm not that uncomfortable because we've hit a problem um which is one of the keys in in I think life, life that's very that's like very helpful it's like okay so you have a problem don't let it make you don't feel let it become a problem uncomfortable mm-hmm. instead yeah. live with that problem play with that problem and find a solution you're not going to solve a rubik's cube by throwing it on the ground because it's annoying you right, know you're yeah. going you you have to find comfort and pleasure in this in the solution and so if like on a movie set or something when i see problems and i'm actively trying to be that positive I'll just immediately see that whoever came into the room to try to help with the problem with stress, I'll see them turn around and be like, oh, and then they go to their their crew and anybody they have to disseminate information to or ask to do things, they give that same positive energy. And it just it just like trickle downs trickles down into uh, everyone's dare I say, life force, you know, and if your life force is being inhibited by a problem, then it's going to just make it's, it makes you shrink. It Mm. it makes you so small. But if your problem is not something that you allow to do that, then your, your spirit expands and that's when you can be your most powerful. I feel like these are, I feel like maybe I'm repeating myself so often, but it's, it is the thing that I try every single day to live by. So. Mm. It's so true. I just was thinking about like, you know, whenever we face a problem, we feel like the walls are closing in and then there's this tightness you feel like, and high stakes of like, if I don't get to the other side of it, it's these walls are going to crush me and you just feel smaller and smaller, smaller, as you said, but then, if you change the way you're looking at the problem, then there's an openness to it. Mm. There's kind of like a, you know. Unlimited possibility. Yeah, yeah. 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 It As just opens to, up. I think the walls closing in is more of the fear mindset, the mm-hmm. scarcity mindset of like, oh shit, I got to solve this problem right now before the walls crush me. Mm-hmm. Versus yeah. you can just, in your own mind, you can just release those walls and be like, okay, well, what's beyond that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Let's come back to his your film because I am super interested in. I'm really excited about it too. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, please. Yeah, so uh, tell us about your film and how you got to make the decisions of the themes and are your characters uh, and and I'm just interested to understand why you picked what you picked. Yeah, if you look at the thematic nature of my film and then you listen to everything I've just said, they, yeah. they seem like maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah. polar let opposite me, ends. Uh, let me read this synopsis really quickly for, oh, sure, for our sure. audience uh, mm-hmm. that you have available on YouTube. Let's see here. Last Weekend is a slow burn drama that subverts into a twisted neo-noir. Not very dual on the sea so far. <laughs> when Sylvia, played by Virginia Rand, brilliantly played by Virginia Rand, mm-hmm. uh, you may know from Candyland, uh, and Ethan Charlie Barnett from Russian Doll, Meet for an electric one-night stand. They find themselves bound together in a drug-fueled mania. We do not endorse drugs here. Uh, This is not. (laughs) Uh, And then Harrison, played by Hunter Morton, who is a disturbed ex-lover of Sylvia's resurfaces, she is forced to confront her dark past. 
and as the weekend spirals, they're unable to reconcile with the consequences of human nature. And the tagline, if I can find it, Curtis, what's the tagline? The tagline is, anyone would have done what they did. Indeed. Mm. I think... If I <laughs> if I'm relating to the characters, it's you. It's basically in sort of a metaphysical way. A lot of what where our characters meet is at this crossroads. I've talked about this before, but where they meet before they just sort of like have this chemistry that they acknowledge together is they're both sort of on like they're at a turning point in their lives. Ethan played by Charlie Barnett. Yeah. Um, he's on his way out of town, right? Yeah. He's about to leave town. Like he's moving away for good. Mm -hmm. um, hence the title last weekend. Hence the last title weekend. last weekend. It's his very last weekend in Los Angeles where the film takes place. And he meets this woman and uh, the two of them like sparks fly, you know, mm -hmm. like they immediately just gravity is too great and they want to be near each other. Even though they know, you know, he's going to leave. Like there's nothing really, that can be cultivated in so far as like a relationship is concerned. They just um, want 48 hours of passion. Well, they just, yeah, they're, they're, they're at, after that sort of ephemeral feeling when your spirit aligns with somebody else. It's so rare that you can't deny it. And that's where they meet. And I think that where I was coming from at the time, it was COVID and the film industry was very difficult to mm. be working within. And I had a three-year-old daughter who's, you know, sort of trapped inside of this, 900 square foot apartment in LA. And so me and the family were like, we, we just decided that it was unhealthy limitations to be living under and all these things. And all of those struggles were sort of what permeated my existence. And I needed to find a positive way to get them out. Mm. And so I sort of like all in a rush of energy, just like came up with this idea for the film, which is why all the darkness is like kind of seeping into each and every moment of the film. It just came from this desperate idea that I was failing in my career and in my relationships. I felt like a, like a father who's not able to provide a rich enough experience for my daughter because we were, there were so many limitations to our lives. Mm. And then also because I was operating, you know, when I, when I decided, yes, I'll be able to make the film, I had to operate with these extreme limitations. And in the past, it's always stopped me from making a film every single time. It's like, oh, I have no money or time, camera equipment, anything like this. But I found like, I have these talented people in front of me, which is very empowering. And if I can empower them, <laughs> then we can do something pretty marvelous with just them in a room. Okay, mm -hmm. so I can provide a few rooms. You know, you look around and you like realize these are the spaces in which we can occupy and sort of do. And then, and it was just the first time that I was able to turn all of those limitations that had stopped me before into an aesthetic that made me excited, into an aesthetic that everybody sort of like understood and got behind. That's the transmutation that we were talking about. Exactly. That's taking all that negative shit and turning it into something amazing. And it was really the first time that I had been sort of like courageous enough in my own life to do it. Yeah. And it was a lot to do with the fact that like I had nothing more to lose. I was already like sort of giving up on the LA thing and mm. moving away. Um, so I was like, okay, but last hurrah, if I fail, it doesn't make much difference. Who cares? There's a little bit of financial burden of the, that failure, but the idea that failure is an is actually an option and it's like, okay, if it doesn't work, that was a very liberating moment. Just like that understanding of, hey, if it doesn't work the way I wish, that's okay. 
Mm-hmm. We can we can still do it. And everybody brought it. And obviously, I couldn't be happier with the result. Dude, they were all really brave. Those performances, especially from Virginia, that was that was a very brave. Yeah, I think. Well, I think all th- um, the three main actors—that's um, Virginia Rand, Charlie Barnett, and Hunter Morton—they're all very brave. Yeah, for various reasons. Virginia's is pretty obvious why because she's putting so much on the line physically and mentally and charlie's performance is very brave too because he's got to portray somebody that is walking this line of like i'm supposed to be quote unquote and this is all like the themes of the movie i'm quote unquote the good guy Mm. but you see him make all of these horrible choices that do terrible things to people that he loves and that's a very brave thing to do because you're sort of what are you saying about that character? It's a lot of nuance. Um, and audiences may distort the truth of what it means. In in that world, that was, I think, a very brave thing for him to do. And then Hunter, the guy who plays Harrison, he's the villain. I mean, he's got to put himself in a position where he just outright is doing these just really despicable. abysmal, horrible yeah. things. And the, your reputation is sort of on the line. It's very difficult to portray a character that has no redeeming qualities. And so in that way, that was very brave. Yeah. And not something that any of us took lightly when we did it. I mean, it was like a lot of conversations about this. So you got a lot of heavy subject matter here. You yes. got a lot of crazy good acting going on. And you shot it in how many days? We shot it in a grand total of five days. Get the five fuck out of here. <laughs> so, wow. five shooting days. Are you days. listening Hollywood <laughs> Well, I don't want to set myself up to have to do that again. And again, no, and again. No, I'm saying no, that, that, that the, the, the equity that you got out of those five days. Right, it is. Like, the ROI on that is extreme. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see what, what returns we actually get. But You made a great film. In five Thank days. You. It Thank took you like six months to edit it, but. <laughs> well, the, the process of uh, in post-production was really something that evolved over time because I was thinking that I was going to have to do all of it by myself mm. and I was actively doing it. So my first edit was actually very fast. Um, mm. and, and the difference between that edit, the, the picture edit, I mean, and what it is now is very small. I mean, a lot of audience members probably wouldn't even realize. I remember seeing some some first cuts, and the audio was the, the yeah. Real the problem. audio is really the biggest was the biggest journey, and that was because we, you know, when we got into the post production, I didn't have a company to do the sound for me. It was all just me, and I wound up going with this really terrific New York based company called Red Hook Post. A friend of mine, Tom Effinger, is the guy who runs it, and he's just properly amazing. And they did, I mean, they did all of their work at like. I won't say how much, but they gave me a pretty good deal for it. And I mean, I couldn't be happier with how it sounds. It sounds terrific now. And that was, the sound was really like a big thing. Sound and music Mm -hmm. took a lot in order to settle on it because we did, we had very limited resources. So you have to find how to do it without just throwing a bunch of money at it. You know, in Hollywood, a lot of times, if you have a problem, you just throw money at it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't have that luxury. So it was a matter of like finding people that could fill it with love and care. Mm. And that was like the reason they're there is because of love, not because of finance, which is not an easy task, but I think that we did it. And I'm very proud of that, you know. You should be. It's a love child. Time. It is yeah. a love child. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's, it's clearly, yeah, you, you clearly put your heart into it, despite the fact that it's just, you know, it's brutal. It it's is. a brutal film. Yeah. But that's always kind of been your style. Well, I think for me, I try not to lean on like a stylistic measure, but I try to lean on 
this, I, I, I already said this, but it's just the honesty, mm-hmm. like the honesty of where I was at in my life at the time. <laughs> it's not like I was on a bunch of Coke binges and stuff like the characters are, but I was desperate, like the way that they are. Mm. Um, and it's just a finding, a finding a way to tap into that human side of me that I felt was dictating how I lived my life and putting that onto film in a, in this particular story. Um, that came from the collaboration of me and my co-writer Virginia and the producers. And when we, cause we all together sort of like took that seed of an idea of like the week there, his last weekend meeting somebody and it descending into this thing. And we just were like, how can we make that story be something that was, culturally culturally relevant to like our generation and i think our society right now and that's what we came up with all right yeah. well go watch the film august 26th august 26th yes yeah. that's right yeah, san jose yeah cinequest very very exciting times i'm so proud of you curtis it's been Thank a you. long journey uh and this is the first of it's many over. feature-length yeah. films that you will be directing and i, I hope, hope so. that you get to produce one of my screenplays at some point that would be i'd love that fucking terrific. rad all right, uh, we've been talking a while, and we still have three questions to get through. Oh, we have three questions. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, have to, we have to ask you them. We ask everybody. Ooh. Would you care to do the first one, my, my love? Sure. What is one, so we're going to bring it back to dwellings, mm-hmm. and can you tell us what is one um, domestic task that you excel at? Oh, a domestic task, right. <sighs> Or I that think, you enjoy. You right, don't have right, to excel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's kitchen work. I'll yeah. say that. So I love to cook because it's creative. And, you know, if I'm ever feeling down or anything like this, like one hour in the kitchen cooking something is it lifts me up because it's like it's pretty instant gratification. You mm-hmm. know, you want to eat that steak and you, it's like pretty quick and then so i really love working in the kitchen and and in that also means that i like i have to do the dishes clean clean the kitchen too and that's the one chore that like i want to do really of, of all of them it would be like i can do the dishes it's meditative usually it's the tool set that i'm using so i want to give it a little bit of care because mm-hmm. i spend a lot of time in the kitchen so like i want to care for my knife set i want to care for my my stainless steel pan or my cast iron skillet and yeah. that kind of thing. That needs extra TLC too. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I also like to bake. I've been baking a lot of cookies lately. So oh, well, be sure to bring some over sometime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been asking most of the questions. Why don't you take the second one? Oh, the well? second question? Yeah, you'll, is, ta- you'll take the last anyway, one. I'll take the last one, yeah. <laughs> so our second question that we ask every guest is if you, so we're going into Star Trek land and So pretend for a minute that you are a Starfleet officer sent on a mission, about to go on a mission for an indefinite period of time, and you can only take three personal items. So, yeah. So what would those items be? I think I would bring I would bring my my edit bay because I do so much of my work on that and I I can do anything there. I can watch movies. I can make movies. I can play games that's like and i do my writing with it i think i would bring my edit bay so just like kind of I think large that's a sanity thing for you large like you computer don't get to do those that things. i tinker with all the time yeah. constantly changing and and so there's that the extension of colorado rutledge is the is the edit bay so it's gotta come another thing what else would i bring oh god i feel like i prepared for this question and i'm blanking on the other things i definitely need to have a, a portrait of my daughter ripley mm. so that i can always be 
close to her. Uh, and audience, the answer to your question, uh, is she named after Ripley from Aliens? The answer is yes. She absolutely is. That is correct. Is. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, um, the idea was to find the most empowering sort of female figure in the cinema. I'm surprised you didn't have Beatrix, honestly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that Ripley is like, Ellen Ripley from Alien is like, all those memes are true. You know, a bunch of men don't listen to her and they all wind up dead. And she's the one person with a cat surviving at the end of that movie. It's yeah. very hilarious. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so Ripley needs to be near me. And if I can only bring a picture, that mm -hmm. will have to suffice. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a hologram since we're in. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, now since, we're talking. <laughs> since we're in Star Trek land. Mm -hmm. I think the third thing is probably like my outfit. You know, because I got That's I got my arms, I got my man. boots, my vest, my hat. Like yeah. I can't. It brings me my power, so I think I need to bring that. So I said uh, that's your coat of arms. Something that. Tarantino actually talks about is his characters have a coat of arms, especially in Reservoir Dogs. They're just with a black suit and the mm -hmm. white shirt and the mm -hmm. black tie, and that's their their armor, so to speak. Right. And you, are I certainly that with it's, your it's boots like an exoskeleton. I can't you definitely really embody it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. It's your, it's people your notice too. Yeah. It's a wacky <laughs> thing. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> I like, but it's you. But I like places like New York City. Well, I, I have a love hate relationship with it. I go go to a, like uh, Central Park or something in New York City, and I'm no longer a character. I'm like normal. Like mm -hmm. nobody, yeah. nobody takes any notice. Yeah. Meanwhile, you walk but, down Church Street, and everybody's like, "Who the heck does that guy think he is?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Sorry, folks, here I am." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the last question we have for you, Mister. Mr. Williams is, um, if I can remember it, what is one thing that uh, will instantly make your day better? Oh, <laughs> oh, it's definitely love. I think just, just, just feeling love. I mean, yeah, feeling no giving and receiving love. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there's like there's so much to what I do creatively that is born out of that. Um, there's so much that I do in my home life that is due to that caring for my daughter, being cared for by my daughter. Oh, oh. my gosh. When she loves me, mm. there's nothing else that fills me up quite like that. Yes. But I think that it's, it's, a, it's less about like, you know, this idea of like loving a person, like, you know, like everybody wants to be in this romantic idea about love, but I think it's more like just like spreading it like you do joy it could be like Just far and wide yeah i mean it, it could be as simple as you know giving ripley a hug or uh or say, saying good night to her i love you or it could be like i'm going to a cash register and that person is having like the worst day and you can see it all over them. Mm. Uh, and you just give them something that's just a smile that says, Hey, you are loved. And if they receive that and they, and they reflect it back on you, there's kind of nothing better. It's really that simple as just like getting it from a stranger even. Yeah. And I mean, it's really like, just like the idea that if I love myself, then that can be spread to the people around me. Um, that sounds like ego driven, but I don't mean it to be. I mean no, it to I be think, the opposite. I, I mean it to be there. Actually, if you don't love yourself, you have. It's like pouring from an empty cup. Right. You know? If you don't fill yourself up first, there's no way that you can fill others up. Um, I've been uh, recently valuing the the habit of a morning routine and getting my mind right before I interact with my family. Uh, or before I interact with any clients or just the world in general, just making sure that, you know, my head's str on straight before I go out in the world. Because if I don't, 
I'm much more likely to be irritable. Mm -hmm. So I feel that. I feel that 100%. But I think, well, that comes back to the awareness that that 90-second routine can change your whole day. Totally. And it's almost like... If, if if your goal is to be able to spread that kind of positive nature of love, mm. then I just whatever you got to do, you know, if it's a morning routine, if it's like you have to have a, a beautiful meal or whatever, I mean, everything to me can lead to that yeah. as long as you're open-minded to it. You know, like you can't close yourself off to like receiving that. I mean, just the, the look in somebody's eye sometimes can just change your whole life. And I think... That's what I crave anyway. Mm. <laughs> it kind of goes back to my people-pleasing nature of like if I'm on a movie set and I see somebody is upset or trying or struggling to get at their goals, I know that they will have a lot better of a time if they're sort of like shown some love and some care. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I receive that in, you know, in return, it's really the thing that changes my whole life for the better. Mm. I say life, not day, but yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I love you, Curtis. Uh, I love you. <laughs> I and, love you guys. And we, I hope that the that our audience today can feel our love. Yeah, it's going to sound really corny unless they, <laughs> <laughs> unless they get it. You know, like yeah, that's yeah. that's the weird thing when you talk like this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, people either get it or they don't. Yeah. But I hope that they've, I hope they receive it as it's intended, which is just mm -hmm. like this genuine idea of being positive, you know? Yeah. Or, well, we'll see. All right. Well, Mr. Curtis Anthony Williams, always a pleasure to see you, sir. Thank you yeah. for having me, you guys. Yeah. I love you guys. Where do we find you on socials, though? Uh, I'm most active on on Instagram. You can find me at Curtis. That's yeah. Curtis, C-U-U-U-R-T-I-S. <laughs> and you can also find me on, what is it called now? X, oh. the new Twitter. Yeah. I don't know what yeah, we yeah, should what say about that. Um <laughs> I don't remember what my handle is on it though. Oh I'm so gosh. sorry. We but will we'll, add we'll it. And I, but I'm also, uh, I will also be um, publishing my website in the next couple of days. Whoop, whoop. So you'll be well, able to find me on that. Um, CurtisAnthonyWilliams.com. I don't know. Actually, <laughs> find my Instagram. It'll be announced there. That's right. where you'll find well, it. And we'll you'll be see sure a link, link in the bio. Mm -hmm. um, and also you can go to CineQuest's website and find last weekend. And it gives you some links to finding me and everything else like this. We're so. going to link up. Uh, we're going to link the hell out of this on YouTube uh, for everybody. Terrific. Everything else. So you will be able to be found, sir. And I hope everybody comes out to CineQuest, enjoys the film. I can't wait to... I, the, the main goal of it was to start a discourse with people. So I hope that it starts people talking and love it or hate it. It doesn't matter to me as long as it makes you think. As long as you watch it and pay to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for your time and oh, love. Please. Thank you, Curdy. It's always a pleasure. Curdy. Curdy. <laughs> The Duelness Podcast is produced by Steinmetz and recorded at Dial Studio at Hula. Our audio and video production is handled by Syntax and Motion. Our audio engineers are Wesley Davis and Will Davis. Our show producer is Will Davis. Intro music is by Sam Barsh and outro by Ian Koloski. Artwork and promotions by Snicket's Public Relations. 
You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Steinmetz-BT. Or you can sign up for our newsletter and get insights into our lives at our website, Steinmetz-VT.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.